Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Brittany Spanos, and we're going to be playing Brittany's excellent interview with Katy Perry, who has a new album out called Smile. And also, congratulations to Katy Perry, because she just had a baby. She had a baby girl named Daisy Dove Bloom, and Brittany talked to her right before she gave birth, really. And again, it's a great time to be Katy Perry. We're very happy for her. On a professional level, it's probably a little bit of a weird time to be Katy Perry because the pop landscape has shifted so dramatically, and she is still Katy Perry. And this is something we've been talking about for a while. It's interesting to talk about. And Brittany, it's not so much Katy has changed. She hasn't changed at all. It's just the world has changed around her. How do you see all that working? I mean... She came out at a time when it was kind of, it was very cool to be a little trolly in music. <laughs> it was kind of cool to, I mean, she was on the Warped Tour circuit for her first album, One of the Boys. Like, her entire thing was, like, she was a little bit of, like, the alt-pop girl when she first came out. And a lot of the stuff that she sang early on quickly has become sort of deemed very problematic, has been, <laughs> you know... You know, I Kissed a Girl at being the big single and songs like You're So Gay, stuff like that. Like, there's, like, a lot of stuff that just, like, has not aged as well as a lot of other pop songs. And it's not to say that other pop stars haven't had songs that haven't aged as well. But, you know, I think that there was a, a slew of them and a lot of other stuff that followed her for a long time. And, you know, there was a lot of, like, very appropriate things that she's done and over the course of albums following. So there's a lot of elements of, like, really her music career up till like recently that's been sort of cancelable for a lot of people and has had that she's had to um engage and sometimes apologize for sometimes she has not and you know things that she sort of is still dealing with the fallout from yeah i find her whole thing fascinating i've always found her more fascinating maybe than other people because i think it seems more simple to be her than than it actually is. I think mm-hmm. people overlook, you know, the fact of, of her hyper-religious upbringing and just how sort of ill-suited her personality is for a, for an age of, of greater sensitivity. And it, it's interesting, even back, I didn't realize that when I, I did a cover star on her, it was 2014. And even at that point, mm-hmm. there were a tremendous number of sort of like cultural sensitivity-related controversies that we had to go over. Yeah. You know, we turned to the issue of her alleged cultural insensitivity. She's been criticized for having big-bootied mummies dance in her tour. Mm-hmm. One critic called them hypersexualized caricatures of black m- women's bodies, mm-hmm. dressing up as a geisha at the American Music Awards, and as a stereotypical yarmulke-wearing Jewish comedian in her birthday video. And for including a split-second scene in her Dark Horse video in which a guy wearing a pendant that reads Allah is disintegrated. She ended up altering that one. Mm-hmm. So she just, she, she just, you know, so I said, so she knows the rules are changing that, quote, cultural appropriation is increasingly uncool, but she's not thrilled about it. And this is her in 2014. I guess I'll just stick to baseball and hot dogs and that's it, she said. And unfortunately, she, she then said, I know that's a quote that's going to come to fuck me in the ass that's her quote but can't you appreciate a culture i guess like everybody has to stay in their lane i don't know so it was coming in 2014 and then Brittany, what i was going to ask you about is she then did that extraordinary promotional cycle that yeah. was like an apology tour for being herself so maybe yeah, <laughs> yeah which i just so, i've never seen anything like that please talk about that a bit i mean so if we look at the so her last album witness which came out in 2017 was one of the 
first big pop album rollouts after the 2016 election. And um, she dropped Change to the Rhythm in February of 2017, right after the inauguration. And I mean, that entire 2016 election cycle, she was very active in the Hillary campaign. She was, you know, very much like, I think she did a performance or whatever with, at like a Hillary rally. Like she was very, she had become very involved in politics in a way that she had not been prior to 2016. And with Witness, Change the Rhythm, when she first launched it, she called it Purposeful Pop, which when we talked about it, she was like, that's just ended up getting attached to the album. And it was a big part of how she was looking at that album, though, to be fair. Like, you know, she did that um, lock-in type of multi-day thing where she had cameras on her all the time. She had like a live therapy session. She did like an interview with DeRay, the activist, just about all her past cultural appropriation. Like she had people watching her 24 seven. Um, she's talking a lot about her place in pop and as an activist, as uh, someone in the, in Trump's America and what that means and trying to check her own privilege in a lot of ways. And it, it backfired. <laughs> really, it like was not, you know, and it's not what even was, what was wrong with it. Cause it was like, it, it was well-intentioned, I think, but it just, it seemed like just too much and just like what went, what was not quite right there. I mean, it was very well-intentioned and there was a lot of things about, you know, that had shifted very rapidly between the album prior prism and witness, which is that numbers were going down in sales, streaming, things like that. Just a lot of, you know, business side things that were going to be hard already to keep up with. But I think a lot of the rollout hinged on wokeness in a way that felt very forced at the time. I think people, you know, the idea of protest pop at that time was still kind of argued the idea of what art would look like, how that kind of would manifest in a very, you know, what has continued to be a very dark time for America and for many people and, you know, a very troubling and awful presidency. And I think kind of an album that began very hinged on that, but wasn't really entirely about that. Again, like the two biggest singles were Bon Appetit with Migos and Swish Swish with Nicki Minaj, which were big in the sense that they were bigger than some of her more recent singles, but not like Teenage Dream, Roar Big. It was a little bit of a messy rollout. And she has looked back on it with a little bit of, um, I mean, that a lot of what Smile comes from is a lot of deep depression from that time. I mean, it was a big blip in her career. You come, again, coming off of Prism and Teenage Dream, two of the biggest pop albums of the last decade. You know, it's got to suck to like have an album not be received as well as those last ones. And the very position that she aimed to occupy, what people call this sort of centrist pop star Mm -hmm. of making sort of like white pop music, uh, that it's like the position that she wants has sort of, to a certain extent, evaporated from the position of importance. Even if she was what she once was, which she isn't quite, that thing isn't as much there as far as if you're going to rule the roost as like a what she was (laughs) right and i think she you know she's a big student of 80s pop more so than any other pop artist now she's someone who like is very heavily influenced by that decade in everything she does and her sound in the way that she presents herself that kind of over the top kind of maximalist presentation is everywhere and everything that she's done and it 
that hasn't shifted very much over the last decade. So I think like she's still kind of figuring out where that kind of stands right now for her as a pop star. Cause she is a brilliant writer. She's always been a brilliant pop writer. Songs like Never Really Over and Small Talk from last year, which is not on the album, which I'm very sad is not on like the official album. And um, Harley's in Hawaii, really great singles. And she's always been a brilliant pop writer. But I think the idea of reinvention has changed a lot. The idea of like what eras look like, how to go from album to album. I think some artists have felt more comfortable in completely starting from scratch. And some artists have felt comfortable sort of just like honing in on a very niche way of who they are. And I think Katy Perry is still figuring out which one works best for her. At the same time, I really felt for her in your interview, which everyone will hear, where she said, people are asking, oh, are you going to settle down now? Are you like, are you basically going to retire? Which is really an offensive thing to say to a 35 year old woman who's having their first child. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like why? So, so I feel for her, you know, I, I feel for her on a number of levels, but that I think she made a great point. Like why, <laughs> why would mm-hmm. you ever think that? You yeah. Know? And I, I think that there's kind of, we're at this very weird point in pop where, you know, artists don't go away. Like there's no such thing as like right now where there's like no such thing as a one hit wonder. There's no such thing as like, if you have a bad album, you do just go away, which is I think like our precedent. And it's like the idea that you just like keep either kind of like are comfortable with a certain level of sales and streams that people care about so much and chart success, or you just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Katie's kind of like at a weird crossroads when it comes to sales and streams. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, like, she's still writing really great music. She's still Katy Perry at the end of the day. And so I think that there's like this weird, like confusion about like, like what happens now? Like what happens when a pop star who goes from selling millions of records, like it's taking a minute to get back to that. Like, well, what's that future look like in pop music right now when you don't just become a has-been in pop because she's not a has-been. She's still very famous. She's still a person who's like, she hosts American Idol. She has like, successful fashion lines like she's a, a very hard-working person in the pop and celebrity landscape but I don't think people know what to do when you're not number one all the time like pop fandom as it exists now cannot compute that especially when the precedent is you've been number one all the time but yeah I think that's kind of it's like just like a weird it's a weird time to be a pop fan and a pop star I mean I remember being incredibly impressed and as I often am if I get to kind of go backstage into the world of someone like her, but she truly was in charge of her entire touring machine in a, mm-hmm. in a really impressive way. I mean, there were just, it was just an army of people that she was leading and she led them more than some other pops. I mean, she was holding group meetings with the entire crew and saying, go team. And she's very, as she said to you, she's a control freak, extremely detail oriented, so, uh, you know, I would never count her out. She's in many ways an impressive person. But the other thing is, like you said, it's a transitional period. In just a couple of years, I think people will switch to Katy Perry. She's a legend. And then mm-hmm. that's when she gets to do the whole a big Vegas thing and a big kind of because she has enough back catalog that yeah. once she fully accepts that position can become not a, a legacy artist, but just like like slip into that legend category and regardless of what happens in the charts going forward, will be golden, you know? Yeah, I think it's really just like the way that nostalgia cycles have gotten so much shorter for a lot of artists. We've seen that with Gaga even, like the nostalgia cycle around Gaga where like people really 
in the same way that people have started to count out Katy Perry and counted out Gaga before she moved to film. And so it's stuff like that. Like, it's funny how that always works and how that kind of like helps sort of amplify and kind of this return to their roots is what in very heavy air quotation on that, like return to the roots in some way kind of happens. But yeah. Well, yeah, I think two instructive examples are definitely Gaga and, and Taylor as sort of mm-hmm. examples and, and counter examples. I, I think that yeah, Gaga through a number of things by sort of re-embracing her core with things like the Super Bowl performance, making a, a pretty good album, and, and and also her film success, she enters that realm of sort of untouchability. However, this album did, it doesn't even seem to matter as much. She's just she's Gaga again, and yeah. seems like kind of legendary. And I think that's just a little bit of the needle that that Katie needs to to thread this mm-hmm. time around. And a and then I mean Taylor. You know, I want to. I don't want to be unkind, but I think Taylor. I think some of what people who don't really understand Taylor and her music thought was happening to Taylor mm-hmm. may have really happened to Katie. Right? Yeah. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, and I, I think like you know Taylor has continued to bring in like really really young fans, and that is also such a big part of kind of the legacy building, but also kind of maintaining and growing in that regard, which is it's hard to do. And I think you know. Katie's fans have really grown, have continued to grow. I mean, not to say that that hasn't happened to a lot of other pop stars, but I think like when you look at like Katie and Gaga, it's been sort of like a hurdle to bring in like the Gen Z, like much younger generation because things move so quickly right now. It's so hard to keep up and so hard to like do that. And so I think that's kind of been sort of that other hurdle is like how quickly things have moved and how quickly new, new and shiny things are happening to kind of maintain the attention, which always is, you know, it's always existed for especially female pop stars, but becomes shorter and shorter. The other needle she's threading just to beat that metaphor to death is this thing of, of how current to be. She was doing last time around, she was doing stuff with Migos and stuff and maybe straining beyond <laughs> what came naturally <laughs> to her as far as adapting to current styles. And she maybe has, she's chilled out on that a bit, right? Trying to, to yeah. go back into her own. Yeah. This album does feel a lot closer to Prism and a song like Roar, where it is sort of this empowerment pop, this kind of like big anthem, you know, that seems to be a major crux of the album, as opposed to kind of, I think Teenage Dream kind of straddle that in between, right, of like kind of being very current and being very like trendy with some of the big power pop anthems. Prism kind of leaned a little bit more into the anthems, especially with the success of Roar and Witness seemed to go back to like kind of try and keep up the trends again. And so this one definitely, there's um, a much bigger focus on like those like arena pop radio anthems. And that feels right, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I think there's like, um, you know, that definitely feels like something that has been very like great for her vocally, like something that's allowed her to kind of show off that vocal range which I don't think we talk a lot about with Katy Perry but I do think she's a really excellent singer and yeah I think there is kind of you know there's a a bit a few too many of those anthems on the album but I think that when they work they work there is that thing you talked with her about the inability to tour that strange thing when you hear an album kind of crafted for the road that and for a tour that doesn't exist it ends up being like someone at the Republican convention shouting to an empty room. Not not to say not to say that Katie's Katie is a Democrat, but I'm just saying, you know, that, that thing where you're gauging your work to 
a thing that doesn't exist. So there's, there's perhaps a little bit of that. I wonder if you might have had less of that reaction if you knew that she was going to go right out on tour or maybe you would always have. Yeah. That. <laughs> and, I mean, she pretty much finished the album before right. March because that's what we had talked about as well. It's like she basically was just putting on finishing touches. So this album was probably going to drop earlier in the summer at least so it seemed like it was very much tied to this idea of like doing more stuff with it even though i mean she's already pregnant so i'm sure she was it was kind of already in the future but i think there was this idea that there would be live shows things like that it was it was recorded in a much different time and now we're going to play britney's excellent conversation with katie herself conducted not long before katie gave birth let's go right into that you're in la right i am are we ready to start? Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. First off, I mean, how has your, I mean, being pregnant and getting an album ready in quarantine is a lot, but I mean, how has it been like for the first few months, kind of like just trying to chill, just trying to like be easy on yourself, taking up weird hobbies. What's it, what's it look like for you? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this as like the first option for putting out a record, both delivering a child and, you know, putting a record out, but, um, this is an unusual circumstance and an unusual year and the record I'm really proud of. And it is a record that stands for like a lot of hope and resilience and joy. And I think that hopefully the listener can take away some of those themes when they hear it, but you know, it's been a go with the flow roller coaster of emotions for everyone kind of taking it week by week and you know curveball after curveball and this time is about like I think a loss of uncertainty and and more of like surrendering and it's hard for control freaks like myself (laughs) but you got to adapt um but yeah it's like kind of I keep on saying it's a bit of a win-win the fans get an album and I get a baby so everybody's happy (laughs) Were you still recording in March and still finishing up as we entered everything? Yeah, I had done the bulk of it before, you know, that Friday the 13th of March. Yeah. It seemed like it was like the, the day yeah. I came from Australia. I was planning on shooting this big video for Daisies that I didn't shoot, obviously. I just went into like, you know, apocalypse prepping mode of like, okay, family members, you're doing this. We're scrubbing our lemons. We're not touching anything. And we're putting finishing touches on the record from a bedroom, (laughs) from a kind of makeshift little studio with my brother-in-law, who's a producer as well. Yeah. And then I started mixing the record, which was, you know, putting on the finishing touches from my car outside of the beach. That was like my office. Um, But you know, that this was before people started going, okay, I'm going to adapt to the new norm and, uh, and face the challenges of getting things done. You know, simple, simple things that you would get done in a day now have kind of, they're, they're like three times as hard to do mm-hmm. and nothing is really certain about it all. So it's an interesting one. It's, it's, uh, I'm proud that we're, we're getting towards the finish line. Yeah. You're such a maximalist with how, you know, your tours with your videos. I mean, tell me about doing something like filming the Daisy's video. It was in your backyard, right? Where you were able to kind of put this. Yeah. A little bit outside of my backyard. Yeah. I mean, I was like, Daisy's was coming. It was going to be the, it's the first song that really sets the tone for the record. Mm-hmm. 
And these days it's important to have a visual component as well as an audible, an audio component. It's stronger together. Um, and I just was like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to have, you know, hire a friend that makes videos and I've done a little bit of work with. We're going to make this thing on a Super 8. I'm going to basically get lost in a, in a field of Canyon sunflowers and try and trade them as daisies, you know, try, <laughs> try and convince people that they're daisies. And I'm just going to do something raw, which I don't ever do anyways. So in, in that way, it was maybe a different feel or type than people had seen of the past. But yeah, I did that. I did that in like March. I mean, it was like, that was when like nobody was moving around, you know, yeah. it was like, uh, what do we do? And then from there, I just have challenged my team, my creative team, especially to help me, you know, make things more interesting from home or from a headquarters of my own. And I've been doing all kinds of performances that are not from a couch, yeah. you know, that are outside of the box and utilizing like never before types of technology. And that's really fun. I just am always up for a challenge. And with this record coming out, I have a lot of um, visual components coming with it. Some of it I made pre-pregnancy, pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Some of it I made during this time, you know, and then it will continue. It's not like August 28th is the end all be all day of smile. Sure. It's hopefully got some expansiveness that will even come into, into shape in 2021. Yeah. And I know that you started writing and I mean, not necessarily for the purpose of releasing an album or thinking about that two years ago, but I read an, an interview that you did with paper in early 2019, where you were kind of very consciously trying to take a break and trying to think about, you know, you mentioned even like wanting to go back to school, things like that. How long did that break last? <laughs> well, I break in the way that like, you know, I was so used to being on this loop of write a record, you know, for six months, bring it to life the next six months, then go on tour for a year and a half mm-hmm. and then repeat. And I did that for four records and it started to, you know, really grind on me a little bit. And so I only came to the decision that I was going to make this a body of work called Smile at the end of last year. Otherwise, you know, I'm always expressing, I'm always writing, I'm never not kind of working on my craft or channeling the information into a song. Like, I'm still writing. It's not so compartmentalized like that. But the break for me was like, don't have such a strategy around record or Mm -hmm. making a record, just like let it come if it wants to come. And yeah, think about all the other things that you could do and the different parts of life you haven't explored. And now I have created space for that because I feel like I'm out of that loop of being single-minded as far as one goal goes. So yes, of course I uh, made space for the idea of having a child in the future. I still want to go to school there are still still so many dreams to um, dream, it's, yeah. but they're different dreams. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially since everything is being, especially, you know, we don't know when the touring industry is coming back. We don't know what things are going to look like a year from now, let alone 
Although I look like a fortune teller today, but I ain't one. (laughs) I mean, how are you starting to rethink that cycle in totality as you're kind of entering not only this era, but what the future of the next few years of, will there be that loop still? Will that ever return? Is that done for, for now? I think in every job we've realized maybe a third or a fourth of it can be remotely. Mm-hmm. Just realize that it's always good to have human contact and touch and face to face and eye to eye. But there's a lot of like really good work that can happen over Zoom, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we will now lean into some technologies that we were a little bit, you know, iffy on adapting into our everyday lives. It will bring us. I think some positive in that we'll have some time to like do other things because pre this, I feel like we were all spinning out. It was like this great American capitalistic dream just to like work until you're broken. Yeah. (laughs) Work until the, until the wheels come off, you know, and forgetting that like, it's important to have, to create space for time for family and friends and stillness and presence and, you know, success isn't always measured by the different goals that you've achieved career-wise or how much is in the account or blah, blah, blah. Of course, all that's good. It's just about balance, which I feel like we haven't had as a society for a while. Mm -hmm. And so now there's this shift. I think it's great that some of it will be able to be remotely so that you don't have to go to Australia for two days, you know, cause that's like on anyone's body, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll get back to some type of normal in the future. It's just when, you know, mm-hmm. it's like every hundred years we have the Spanish flu. We've had, you know, these viruses in the past and history has repeated itself. We've had wars We've had, you know, loss of empires, all of it. We've been through it. This ain't new. We just haven't, you know, we just haven't had the internet to record everything. So it all feels really new, right? And I want to talk a little bit about developing the sound of this album. And I know that the lyrics itself had started to develop long before you, again, had mentioned getting into the studio and kind of fully developing what Smile would become. But I know you worked with people like Zed and Charlie Puth and Oscar Holter and things like that. And I mean, tell me about kind of how you wanted Smile to sound for you and how this era would would come across for Katie. I really had a patchwork of songs and didn't realize it, like I had just pieces all over mm-hmm. and just didn't realize it really made a big picture. And, it, you know, a lot of times when I'm writing these songs, I'm in a different state of mind. I'm not like, I don't know exactly. They call it like a, a beta or a, it's like, a, it's a meditation of sorts. And I don't feel like I'm writing from my intellect. I'm writing from my heart mm-hmm. or from my higher self. I kind of like surrender and let like let it kind of flow through me a bit as hippy dippy as it sounds as California as it sounds but that's the really the process and so I think that like my higher self has written a lot of songs that is that have been like okay here is the light at the end of the tunnel here is the the message or the nugget of hope that you've needed or your hope mantra that you've needed to get out of bed and put one foot in front of the other 
here's what you're going to focus on as you write this song, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think it's interesting. It's a, it's a record about going through that hell and that darkness and coming out of it. And some people are going through that hell and darkness right now. And it's and the world is going through its shift as well. So it's weird that it parallels some of those some of those moments right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was the, the hardest song to develop or the one that took the longest to come to life? Ooh, well, some songs are written in a day, mm-hmm. but not all of them. Sometimes they're just like weeks of kind of mulling over and going this or editing, you know, like just re-edit, re-edit, re-edit. I mean, Smile was probably one that I would come back to the drawing board a lot because that is the, you know, a little bit of the de- definition of the record. It's the title of the record and it's also the song. And when you pick the album title and it happens to be a song, you're basically going, this is what it's kind of about. You know, this is the whole thing. And so that song really talks about the journey of falling flat on my face and losing my smile and getting my teeth knocked out and then trying to figure it out and come back out of that place. But, you know, it's a lot of, it's like a lot of self reckoning in that song. It's like I had a piece of humble pie, you know, I had an ego check. I went through a bunch of bullshit. I didn't, that just was not fun. But now here I am still standing and better for it. Yeah. So it it was, I guess it was like, you want to get that story right. So I would do edits on that one for sure. Yeah. I want to talk about something that you had said around the time of Witness where you kind of talked about the character of Katy Perry and kind of letting go of that to um, just because it came from such a place of fear of, being yourself and being Catherine Hudson and like being able to embrace that part of yourself. Um, But what does that mean going forward as someone who is, you know, a very campy person who is a person who loves to kind of embody so much performance and so much of, you know, the maximalism of, of pop. And what does that mean to combine that authenticity of finally feeling comfortable in yourself with your, your pop nature? Yeah. I mean, it's better if I mesh the two. It's better if I have a foundation while still, you know, being the most fun balloon in the room. Mm-hmm. The groundedness, it just feels, you know, it just, it's just more, it's just better for everyone involved. It's not so like um, shooting off the hip, I guess. But I think what I was trying to say then is that like, you know, there is a lot of pressure being a performer, being a, a pop artist, and a lot of, you know, boxes you have to check um, with the public. And you, uh, it's hard, you know, you don't want to misstep and you want to, you know, keep on it. And I think that I was just like, I want to also have just regular human being experiences. You know, I want to be judged just like a normal human being and in some ways see the world through a different lens that isn't just like a idealistic, fantastic, you know, catered to pop star. Like I wanted there to be depth and, and width of life. And, um, just to be seen. I don't know why. I mean, not to be seen for what I do, just for to be seen just because to be right. I think it's important. Like, I think we measure a lot of people on what they do, 
and how much they have and what the appearance is or the presentation. And that's really not, that's, you're, you're not, you don't really know the person, you know, that's not knowing a person and that's not real true acceptance. So I guess I was yearning for some acceptance in some ways, but you know, I think it's great. I think, I think I can be, uh, I think humor, and that's why the album cover has this kind of clown imagery, humor and the ability to be self-deprecating and, you know, being in on the joke has always been a route that I take. And that's why I think that's, that's why this record is kind of in theme. And so, yeah, I just guess, I, I guess the ability to laugh at oneself is important. And that is a little bit of what campness is, mm-hmm. but it's more of a grounded, there's like, there's depth in there yeah. if you want to investigate it. For sure. But it's always going to have a funness to it, a playfulness, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like real true playfulness. It's not a put on playfulness. Yeah, for sure. Relating to that, a quote that I, I love that you said about the album and about the concept behind it and about the meaning behind smile as the title um, was, I don't know if my smile is authentically mine. How do you kind of come to terms with the fact that there was sort of this put on smile for so long and this kind of, you know, and especially as someone who I think has always come across as very, very candid with your fans and very open and things like that. Like when, when were you able to start to separate that for yourself and kind of recognize what was given to you and what belonged to you personally? Yeah. I mean, when you first start out in this world, there's a bit of pageantry that's involved in it, you know, because you are creating a fantasy for people. Uh, That's what you're doing is you're creating a character and a fantasy for people to play out their own, you know, fantasies and imaginations. Um, I think that just with more life and more awareness and more consciousness, you know, you just, you just go, Oh, this doesn't sit right anymore. Or, Oh, this doesn't feed me in the way it used to feed me. Or, you know, it just, you get more perspective the longer that you live and you, you know, I guess, like I said, it's just the awareness brings a level of reckoning of sorts. Mm -hmm. And that also means of evolution. It means evolving. So um, I think that's good, but um, it can be painful because it's kind of a little bit like a rebirth, you know, it's like, okay, I did that for 10 years and that was great. But like now let's grow to the next level. And it's hard to grow to the next level. A lot of people stay at this one level because it's just so easy. But the next level has a lot more to offer. Yeah. And, I'm, and, and, I, and I feel that, especially in my 30s. For sure. And I know that you've spoken a lot about kind of the period of time that inspired this album and about, you know, coming out of the darkness of this, as you called it, uh, the seismic effect that the response to Witness had and the breakup and things like that. But I want to talk about sort of the purpose behind the album Witness, which was purposeful pop and kind of grappling with your experience as an artist, as a public figure, post-Trump's election and kind of understanding how you can relate to that as an artist and what it means to release music at a time like that. And um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of that effect that that's had on you going forward as you start to think about yourself as a, as a writer, as a, as a performer, as a public figure, and how you engage with politics, how you talk about it with your fans, with, you know, with yourself, with the people around you, and kind of understanding that negotiation between those two sides. 
you know, at one moment I said, oh, there's some purposeful pop on this record, mm-hmm. right? And it stuck. It was just like, that is the bumper sticker for this record. When in reality, it, you know, every record is many different things. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, writing Chain to the Rhythm and landing with that kind of like really big question mark of like, are we sure about this, guys? Is this how we're going to live our life? Kind of in this like, you know, blissful ignorance anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of, we're moving away from that. It's not really, um, it, it's not, it's it's a privilege to think in that way. And not everyone gets that privilege, right? Um, so I think, yeah, 2016 was, was interesting. And I felt like I could see like I had like this kind of deep knowing that like if we all weren't making the right decisions, shit was going to hit the fan. It's just like you can have this perception or this awareness or this foresight. And maybe it's a woman's intuition. It's just like, hmm, this smells fishy. And I think, you know, pre like when I first came out, we were living in a different mindset in the world. I mean, I definitely was. I was in my 20s, so that was different in, in and of itself. But we were, we were kind of flying high off of, like, life. We weren't, you know, struggling as we are. There wasn't so much of a divide. There wasn't, you know, the, all of the inequality was kind of underneath the mat. You know, it, wasn't, it was unspoken. It wasn't facing us. And now it's really facing us. And like, you can't just put a, I mean, I just feel like I can't just put an escapist record out. Like, let's go to Disneyland in our mind for 45 minutes. Yeah, like maybe that would be nice. But I think my job as an artist is to observe, digest, and serve, you know? And what I feel like I have observed these days is you know, has a lot of questions in it. Now it has me questioning. I hope that the listener can question, but then again, when you listen to the record, it's not all, you know, thought provoking. There is songs on there that are necessary that you just want to like have a couple of drinks to. For sure. And that you, you want that because that's entertainment. I know that I'm also like just totally a pop star. I get that. But I think it's an old narrative that, you know, you, uh, are just one thing and that your voice doesn't count. Your voice actually does count and everyone's voice counts. And let's not make the same fucking mistake we made in 2016. (laughs) I mean, if we have any control over it. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, you've you've spoken a little bit about how the effect of being on American Idol and having unsub records and being able to kind of live in this, you know, being able to be a mentor to younger artists and being able to watch them kind of grow and have a part in that. I mean, tell me about kind of how, and if you are thinking of doing that more going forward, if there's like, you know, will we see like some, you know, Katy Perry as producer and songwriter on like new artist stuff. I know that you've, you've had some songs that you've written for artists in the past, but um, what's kind of that role going forward. And if you want to pursue more of that. Yeah. I mean, I think for the next year or so, I'm just going to like transition into being a good mom, (laughs) you know, like really take that on and create that space. But um, 
it's funny, you know, sometimes in these interviews, people will be like, so when are you going to like settle down or like, when are you just going to go away? And I'm like, wow, like maybe you should rewire your brain a little bit because why do we have to choose between being mothers and being powerful forces as well? Like, why do we have to choose between what we love and what we love? Like no other male does. I mean, daddy can still be daddy and still be CEO. Ask the same fucking question to him, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I know that if I'm happy, she's going to be happy. And if she's happy, I'm going to be happy. And I find a lot of joy in connecting through music and connecting with people through music. It doesn't feel like hard work. Some of the process is tedious, but the whole scope really is a joyful you know, a joyful experience and one that I love. And I won't be doing it if I don't love it because it's, I am really candid and it's hard for me to fake things, like kind of, (laughs) you know, I did a little bit of faking on Witness and that didn't really work out for me as far as like being on tour and pretending that I was actually happy. Um, You know, I'm 35 and that might be one third of my life. I have more years ahead of me than I do behind me. And so I think whatever dream that I want to have in the future, um, I mean, don't bet against me. (laughs) (laughs) But those dreams could be, you know, being just a mother. Those dreams could be going to, you know, college and having a, a pursuing a higher education. Those dreams could be running a massive record label. It could be anything, you know. And I guess it's up to me to navigate that. And I will. I'm excited. I, just, I don't feel like, I feel like this is, yeah, this is um, a third of my life. And it's already been a huge part of my life, but um, time will tell. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I've had Brittany Spanos with me, and we heard her great interview with Katy Perry. Brittany, one final brief thought on uh, Katy Perry's new album, Smile, perhaps? Um, I, I mean, like Katie said I, in the interview, like I wouldn't count her out. And I think that there's, it is a very fascinating crossroads for any pop star to be at and she's at it and it's not enviable, but I think that on the other side of it, I think we'll see what's happening next with Katie. And I hope that we kind of hear more of that great pop songwriting and those great vocal chops. And I, I look forward to whatever she does next to after smile. We wish her an unproblematic and happy future. So this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. Thanks to Brittany Spanos, who shared her interview with Katy Perry, and to Brittany for talking with us a little bit. And we'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do leave us a nice review on iTunes if you can. I actually do read them. But as always, thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next week.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.